welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. So are y'all glad to have Pastor Josh here with us this morning? Yeah. Actually, this is not his first Sunday with us. His first Sunday was last Sunday, and we were coming home from camp. Uh, his first day on the job, we're at camp. So uh, he hit the ground running, and it may seem like just seven months is nothing to you. Trust me, seven months has felt like a long time once we saw what God was calling us to do. One of the... Uh, most iconic, one of the most recognizable buildings in the world is a church. Happens to be St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow, Russia. If you didn't know, it sits right next to Red Square. It towers over the tomb of Lenin. It actually, you can see the Kremlin on the other side of the wall. I know this because Robin and I actually got to visit St. Basil's several years ago when we were on a mission trip in Russia. One of the things I remember from visiting St. Basil's was a story that they told us about its construction. Now, I had to do some research this week to remember some of the, the details, but I knew the Russian ruler uh, had said, you know, we're going to build this cathedral. That Russian ruler was Ivan IV, who also is known as Ivan the Terrible. And following one of his great victories in a war, he decided that a cathedral needed to be built. St. Basil's is actually nine different cathedrals that are all connected together. After the cathedral was constructed, Ivan asked the architect, is it possible that you could design a more beautiful building than this one? And the architect said, well, yes, I could design a building more beautiful than this one. To prevent that from happening, we were told that Ivan then had the architect's eyes gouged out so that no building more beautiful than St. Basil's would ever be constructed. Of course, in my research, they said that's probably not true because 25 years later, they had the architect build something else. So glad to know that that story didn't happen. But I was thinking of that and remembering that this week as I began to think of this series we're in called Creating the Church. And so I began to wonder, if I could give you carte blanche, if I could give you a blank check and say, I want you to design a cathedral, a church, whatever you want to call it, what would it look like? Some of you, I suspect, would think, you know, I really love going in churches like First Presbyterian Church in North Oklahoma City, this big Gothic cathedral with all this beautiful stained glass, and it's got the big choir loft where dozens of voices can stand and sing as a choir with the pipe organ. You, you might go for something that looks traditional like that. I remember the first church that I was ever appointed to, First United Methodist Church in Tahlequah, big, beautiful red brick colonial style architecture, big steeple that you could see when you were coming into town, big white columns when you drove past the church, just a, a beautiful facility. Maybe that's what some of y'all would do. Of course, I think on the other hand, some of y'all would have a more 
contemporary flair. You would want something like what we've got with the lighting and with individual seats. You would want a bigger gathering space, a place where you know, there were more tables and more room to visit, maybe some couches for people to sit on. You would not just want coffee. You might want a bookstore or a gift shop that is there. When it comes to churches and what we would construct as a building, we all have different tastes, and yet we know that all this building is is a place where we come in to worship God together and a place that we go out from to serve as Christ's missionaries in our community. We are the church. This is just a building. And so when we talk about creating the church, we're not really talking about what do we want it to look like? What kind of building would we want to gather in? Those are discussions for another day when I actually give you that blank check or you give me a very big check that's not blank at all. <laughs> now, when we talk about creating the church, this is something we must understand. We don't create the church. God creates the church and uses people to make it happen. In creating the church, it's not like the rest of creation. You know, we, we spent uh, the first parts of January and February talking about the creation of the universe, and God spoke, and it just happened. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let's separate the water from the dry land, and that's what happened, and that's what we looked at. But when God creates the church, that's not how God does it. God doesn't just speak, and that's what happens. Instead, God is creating the church as his church for his plan for how we as people live together. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of different kind of churches, <laughs> and there are uh, things that we experience in church that we love and things that we experience in church that we don't love, and when we don't love them, we can be critical and we can be harsh sometimes in our criticism, but let's always remember when we're criticizing the church, we're criticizing what God is creating. And so it is, it's appropriate that we don't look at what we want for the church, but we look back in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, when you know Pastor Stephanie preached last week, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people who believe, and they now have this power in their lives to live the life God wants them to live. They have gifts for how they can use those in operation to serve Christ in the world. And as all these people gathered, something magnificent begins to happen. Now remember what she said last week. Remember what the scripture teaches us. Thousands of people were gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. They're not all from Israel. They're from all these different nations, all these tribes, all these tongues. They all hear the mighty sound of a rushing wind. They see the tongues of fire sitting on them. They experience the speaking in languages, but not everybody knows what's going on. You see, the first person to understand what was going on was the first person that I believe became part of the church. That whenever Jesus looks at them and says, who do the crowd say that I am? Peter is the first one that says, you are the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Lord. You're the one we've been looking for. And that's when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, no longer will you be called Simon. Now you will be called Peter, or if you want that word in the Greek, now you will be called Petra, rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. 
So how appropriate is it that whenever all this stuff is going on and the people who do not believe in Christ, who are confused, who think all this is a bunch of nonsense, who think people have been drunk, which is really interesting when Peter says, it's only nine in the morning, they're not drunk. He's not saying they don't get drunk. He's saying they're not drunk yet. It's too early. (laughs) But Peter's the one that said, let me tell you what's going on. Let me explain this to you. This is what God spoke through the prophet Joel. And all these Jews that are gathered together, they know who Joel is. They know the prophecy of Joel. This is their holy scripture. And he explains, starting from the beginning, through Jesus, what happens. And now we begin to see the template that the architect of the church uses to build the church. Let's read part of that as it comes to us from the book of Acts, starting in verse 37. Now remember, Peter's just explained what all this wind and fire and all this babbling noise is. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So last Sunday, whenever many of us were gathered here to celebrate Pentecost Sunday, as I said, uh, Josh and I were at Camp Egan celebrating Pentecost with our 6th, 7th, and 8th graders that went to camp. And one of the things that we hoped and we worked for and that we prayed would happen in coming out of camp is that those 6th, 7th, and 8th graders would learn the answer to the most important question that we ever answer. Now, I've shared this uh, many times before. I, I hope that you remember this, that the most important question we answer is, who is Jesus? This is what Peter the first one to answer the question is addressing in Acts chapter 2. And I actually gave you all a a bonus verse because I just looked at the wrong verse when I started reading. But he answers a question in verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Messiah. So in other words, when Peter is preaching this, he understands who the crowd is. That some of the crowd are the faithful who have followed after Jesus, 
They're Jews that believe Jesus is the Messiah. That's why they're celebrating this Jewish holiday. But there are others evidently in the crowd that Peter knows and Peter can identify. And Peter looks at and he says, this is who Jesus is and you crucified him. You knew Jesus, you saw Jesus, but you didn't know who he was. You didn't recognize that he was the Messiah. Peter also has to know that there are those there that really don't know who Jesus is. They just know they've heard wind, seen fire, and heard a lot of strange noises. And so he's trying to explain this to everybody. And, and at camp last week, that's what we were trying to help the students understand. The most important question you ever answer is who is Jesus? And in verse 36, we see the answer to the question. I mean, we may state it a lot of different ways, but this is how Peter stated it in that day. that He is both Lord and Messiah. And once we answer that question, we then have to answer the second most important question we ever answer. And this is, again, what we taught the students at camp last week. And the second most important question we ever answer is, how am I supposed to live my life because of how I've answered the first question? And this is where the people are. Peter has preached, and his you know, closing statement in his sermon is, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Savior. And at this point, what's really amazing is the people that are there are convinced. They believe Peter. Those who knew who Jesus was but didn't believe in him, they now start to believe. Those who didn't know Jesus but they believed this Jesus was the Messiah. And they've come to answer the first question, this is who Jesus is, but they don't know what the answer to the second question is. And that's what they do. That's what Luke records for us in this record of that event is they look at him and they said, so what are we supposed to do? Ah, isn't that such a great question? What are we supposed to do? And what Peter says is, repent of your sins and turn to God. That's the DA translation. Repent of your sins and turn to God. In other words, once we know that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, what this means is we can no longer continue to live life the way that we lived it before we knew who Jesus was. Before we've lived according to our own desires and our own passions and our own way of wanting to live, and we've got to turn from that, we've got to repent from our sins, and we've got to begin to live for God. And yet I encounter people, I'm sure you encounter people too, that would say that they do not, that they have not sinned. And if this is the belief that you have, I just want to say that in all honesty and, and say it with love, you've been deceived. You've been deceived. A good friend of mine, Reverend Al Potts, shared a story that helps me to understand this. I hope it's helpful for you. He tells the story of a man who was driving one day and he wasn't really paying attention to what he was doing, and he runs a red light. Purely an accident, wasn't done so he could get somewhere in a hurry. He just unintentionally wasn't paying attention, and he runs a red light right in front of a police officer. And sure enough, the police officer turns the corner and turns on his lights and pulls the guy over, and the guy just puts his car in park. He rolls down his window. He puts his hands on the steering wheel. The officer comes up and says, uh, I'd like to see your license and your insurance verification. And the guy said, officer, I'm sorry, 
I was wrong. I didn't do that on purpose. I just wasn't paying attention. That's why I read, ran that red light. And the officer looked at his information. He said, you know what? I'm going to give you a warning. Because most people, when I pull them over, tell me it wasn't their fault and that they did nothing wrong. But because you've been honest, I'm just going to give you a warning. Now, friends, please do not misunderstand the point of this story. I'm not trying to teach you how to get out of a ticket next time you get pulled over in traffic. But I, I find in this story such a beautiful understanding of how God works. That when, when we make mistakes, whether we meant to do it or not, whether it was an intentional or unintentional sin that we committed, when God stops us, when God convicts us, when God says, that's not what you want to do, God's not pulling us over just so God can write us a ticket. God's not pulling us over and calling our attention to what we did wrong just so that uh, he could show us that he's the boss. No, when, when I read the Bible, increasingly I'm drawn to the reality that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And if God is creating a church, God is going to create a church out of people who have turned away from their sin. This is how we gain entrance to the church in the vows that we take at baptism and the vows that we take to become members of the church. It asks, do we repent of our sin? Do we reject the evil powers of this world? Do we renounce the spiritual forces of darkness that are around us? God creates a church out of people who repent of their sins and turn to God. Now, I told you how D.A. translates it. Here's what Peter says in the translation that we wrote. It was repent and be baptized. Oh, my goodness. If you want to stir up a can of discussion among the people of God, just bring up baptism. For 2,000-ish years now, we can't agree on baptism. We can't agree how to baptize people. We can't agree how many times a person can be baptized. We can't uh, agree on when and how old and where. We, uh, we just disagree about baptism. So I want to put your hearts at ease. I am not going to enter that discussion this morning. What I want to do, though, is I want to give us the understanding of what baptism means in this church that God is creating. And that is this. Baptism gives us an identity in Christ. So what kind of car do y'all drive? You could have out answered out loud, but it's okay that you just thought it as loudly as you could. I drive a 2009 Ford F-150 pickup, fire engine red. I know that's a surprise to y'all. And if you're driving around Oklahoma, not just Oklahoma City, but Oklahoma, you're going to see a lot of bright red Ford F-150 pickups. Do I have a witness this morning? Some of y'all just aren't quite blessed enough to drive a Ford F-150 pickup. But... Because there's a lot of these pickups driving around, if you're driving through Oklahoma City, now that you know what I drive, you may wonder, hey, I wonder if that's DA. 
And you know what? You can identify my pickup. You know how? On the rear cab window, driver's side, there's a little sticker that says, Southmore Baseball. Because my son, Jonathan, just graduated from Southmore. He was on the baseball team, so that's why I've got that sticker. And on the passenger side of the rear cab window, there's another sticker. It says, Victory Gymnastics, Karis. Because my daughter, Karis, trains for competition at Victory Gymnastics. So if you're ever driving around, don't assume it's me driving. Just check and make sure it is so somebody didn't steal my truck, okay? But that's how you can identify my truck. And there are things that... We could identify your car with. Maybe it's a sticker for, you know, your children or your grandchildren. Maybe it's a sticker for your favorite college team or a license tag for the college team or the pro team of your choice. Maybe it's a parking pass that you have to have to park in the parking garage where you work. Maybe, in fact, not maybe, certainly your car can be identified by your license plate. So that if a first responder should ever pull you over for unintentionally running a red light, they will know who you are. If I were to go in your home, what identifies you? If I were to go into your workspace, what identifies you? Every day, we send out a lot of messages of what our passions and our values are in life that communicates with other people what our identity is. Therefore, Let us be clear that we are baptized should be our identity. That somehow whenever Christ is doing this thing of creating a church and we're turning from our sin and we are baptized, that identifies why I act the way I act, why I speak the way I speak, why I do the things I do and believe the things I believe. Baptism gives us an identity. And when Peter is preaching about this and he says, Repent from your sin and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. People wanted to do that. They were convinced. And it says 3,000 people made a commitment that day. All of a sudden, because of what the Holy Spirit was doing, not through the wind, not through the fire, not through the speaking of language, but what people was doing when the translation I read says it pierced the people's hearts. I like another translation that says people were cut to the heart. When they are convicted, when we are convicted and we are convinced of what God is doing in our lives, we want to belong to that. So God creates the church as a place of belonging. If we never belonged anywhere else, we can belong to the church because this Jesus is both Lord and Messiah and he invites us to be a part of what he is creating. And it's interesting to me, I never noticed this before in the scripture, but after Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, it says that Peter then preached for a long time. Now, I never noticed that before. And I I got to thinking, what was a long time? I mean, if this service goes past 915, y'all think I've been preaching a long time, amen? Okay, just making sure. Do I get any bonus points for all the times we get out early? No? 
If, if it's past 9.15, I'd preach too long, right? Other pastors, you know, we, we ask each other, how long do you preach? People ask me, how long do you preach? I used to always say about 25 minutes. I don't know how long I preached, but I just thought it was about 25 minutes. But the best answer to that question that I've ever heard was provided by Shane Baldwin, our director of music and worship. And he would tell you, he may preach 18 minutes, he may preach 28 minutes, but he always preaches seven pages. Somehow or another, <laughs> I don't think Peter preached seven pages. I don't think Peter preached 25 minutes. In fact, when all this happens at 9 o'clock in the morning and he says it's 9 o'clock in the morning so people can't be drunk, something tells me that he still didn't let people out in time for lunch. Because when you're dealing with 3,000 people that now want to repent of their sins and be baptized, it takes a long time to answer all that. But people were waiting through it. People didn't mind that it was taking so long because it would give them a place to belong. When God's creating the church, when God's creating a community of faithful followers of those who repent from and are drawn to, how amazing. I mean, a lot of us here have lived long enough that we've been in other churches. Some of them United Methodists, some of them not United Methodists. But for our understanding, to belong to a church has meant showing up at Sunday morning and participating in what goes on. But we know <laughs> that has definitely changed in our culture it was changing prior to the pandemic, but the pandemic accelerated it. And that is, we know that there is a community of faithful followers of Christ that join us each week online. And some of them that can't join us online when we're live streaming, join us later. We, we've got at least one very faithful family in the church, and they'll say, you're not going to see us in the summer. We go to the lake every weekend. But you need to know on the way home from the lake, our family worships by watching the recorded version of the service. And there's some people that have to work right now. They can't come, but when they get home from work, if they take a nap or just get their sleep, they watch when they get up. And that's what we're talking about when the church meets online and on demand, when it's available to people. How community happens in the church now is different and it's hard and we don't have it all figured out for how we can do it, but we understand it is a place that we belong. This ought to remind us not just of our mission of the church, but when God creates a church and gives a mission, he has given us a vision. Our mission as a church is what? Making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our mission as a church. Our mission is not, and sometimes I have to swallow hard before I say this, our mission is not making members of the church. We like members. We want members because we want people to join because they think this is a place that they belong. But I'll be honest with you, there, have been, there are people that are here Sunday after Sunday, been here longer than I've been your pastor, that are not officially members. 
And if you come to coffee with the pastor because you're interested in membership, we always say you can come as often as you want. You can participate in all the ministries of the church. You will receive all the care that any of our members receives, and you never have to join because our mission is not making members. It's making disciples. It's helping people answer the most important question we ever answer, and that is to know who Jesus is. And once we answer that question, we want to help answer the next questions of how it is we grow in relationship with Christ while we go and we fulfill the mission Christ has given us. The mission of the church drives us, but the vision of the church compels us for how we then live. And I hope you know our vision. Our vision is to be a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith centered in this relationship with Jesus Christ that we have turned from our sin and began to move toward God. In our best moments as a church, we are able to love people. Not just the people here, to love people to care for people in those moments of hurt and doubt and sorrow to help each other overcome because this is where we belong. We belong together because we belong to God. And in creating the church, God is creating a church of people who have turned from sin, are pursuing a relationship with God, driven by the mission of making disciples and living into the vision of a church. Whatever our warts, whatever our worries, whatever our wrongs, God seeks to help us with all that and allows us to journey together to help each other. You see, in Acts chapter 2, we have the template for what that looks like. And there's a lot more. But I'm at the bottom of page seven. And so, if you want to know more of the template, you got to come back next week and the week after that. <laughs> and the week after that. <laughs> You're going to have to come for a while to, to see this template. Because when God was creating a church, he created a people that we belong to for the God that we belong to. Would y'all pray with me? Most holy.